current estimates suggest that Crohn's disease affects around 4 in every 1,000 people in the UK. It is typically a disease of young people and working adults, largely appearing for the first time in people between the ages of 10 and 40. Recent evidence suggests that new cases of Crohn's are being diagnosed more and more often, especially in teenagers and children. How can we recognise this disease and what tools do we have in our belt to manage it? Welcome to Plabable Pods for Docs. My name is Sophia, and in this podcast series, we will be discussing all things gastro-related. For visual aids on what we are going to talk about today, head to our website at plabable.com for high-yield revision notes and question bank. Today, we will be discussing Crohn's disease, so grab your endoscopes and let's get started. Understanding the pathophysiology underpinning Crohn's disease is important for both your clinical practice and for the purpose of passing exams. Crohn's is a type of inflammatory bowel disease, the other type being ulcerative colitis, which we discuss at length in its own podcast. It is worth thinking of these conditions in tandem with each other, as differentiating between them is an all-time exam favourite. They both have relapsing, remitting inflammatory courses where severe exacerbations can even be life-threatening, causing bowel perforation and obstruction. There are some key words to associate with the pathophysiology of Crohn's disease. As I mention them in this segment, you'll hear this sound. Take a note of these words, as they will help your pattern recognition skills. The inflammatory features of Crohn's are recognisable through what is seen on endoscopy and biopsy. Unlike ulcerative colitis, which is limited to the colon and rectum alone, Crohn's disease can affect any part of the gastrointestinal tube, from mouth to anus. Hot spots of inflammation typically being the distal ileum and proximal colon. Another feature to note is that the inflammation can affect the entire thickness of the gut wall, known as transmural inflammation, meaning deep ulcers and fistulas to adjacent viscera can form. In Crohn's, the inflammatory changes occur in a discontinuous fashion, also known as skip lesions. These cause fissures and deep ulcers to form in the gut mucosa, which can be described on endoscopy as a cobblestone appearance of the gut. Another key microscopic inflammatory change in Crohn's is the increased number of goblet cells found on histology in comparison to ulcerative colitis where there is a decreased number of goblet cells. The incidence of Crohn's disease in Western countries has been on the rise since the mid-1970s. Inflammatory bowel disease incidence varies geographically, where it is found to be more prevalent in Northern European nations and North America. A slight predominance in women has also been found. So what are the risk factors for developing Crohn's disease? There are four factors to bear in mind when taking a patient's history. These are, number one, a family history of the disease. Number two, whether or not they smoke, as smoking increases the risk of developing Crohn's, unlike ulcerative colitis, where it is in fact protective. Number three, 
being of white European descent, and number four, a recent appendicectomy, as there is an increased risk of developing Crohn's soon after this surgery. Now, what should we be looking out for in a patient history? Let's go through a scenario. A 26-year-old woman presents to you, her GP, complaining of fatigue, recurrent diarrhoea with mucus and episodic abdominal pain, which she says is colicky in character. She says this has all been going on for about six months. You ask her why she has specifically come in today to talk about these issues with you. She tells you that she'd weighed herself at her friend's house and had noticed she'd lost around six kilograms of weight, her previous weight having been 60 kilograms. The weight loss has worried her as she has not been actively trying to lose any weight and she wants to know if this is due to the diarrhoea, fatigue and abdominal pain that she's been experiencing. Let's pause here and think about what we've learned about this patient so far. She's experiencing recurrent diarrhoea with mucus. This is a key symptom of Crohn's. It can also be bloody. However, bloody diarrhoea is more strongly associated with ulcerative colitis. She's also experiencing colicky abdominal pain. This is another key symptom of Crohn's. The specific site of pain can vary depending on the region of bowel which is inflamed. She has noted a 10% unintentional weight loss. Whenever you hear this in medicine, alarm bells should be going off in your head. Often, it is a red flag for malignancy. However, considering this scenario and the patient's age, this is not high on our list of differentials. Weight loss can be prominent in Crohn's, more so than in ulcerative colitis. This is due to the malabsorption and malnourishment experienced in this disease. In children, this can be seen as a failure to grow or thrive. She's also reported fatigue, which is a classic systemic symptom of Crohn's. Others include a low-grade fever and malaise. You continue to take this patient's history and learn that she is a smoker with a four-pack year history and the only regular medication she takes is the progesterone-only pill. The rest of her history is otherwise unremarkable. You move on to examine this patient. On examination, the findings of note are a slight pallor of the skin, oral aphthous ulcers, which the patient reports are recurrent, and some generalised abdominal tenderness. Those findings are all characteristic of Crohn's disease. Other examination findings to look out for are perianal disease, such as skin tags, perianal abscesses and fistula, abdominal mass, which is palpable in the right iliac fossa, and also signs of malabsorption or dehydration. Extra-intestinal manifestations of inflammatory bowel disease can also be prominent in Crohn's disease, these can be broken down into four groups. Group 1 being musculoskeletal, where peripheral arthritis can affect the large joints, such as the knees and sacroiliac joints. Group 2 being the skin, where erythema nodosum is typically found on the shins, 
and Pyoderma gangrenosum, which presents as erythematous papules that then develop into deep ulcers, can also be found on the shins. Group 3, the eyes, where conditions like episcleritis, anterior uveitis and iritis can occur. And finally, group 4, hepatobiliary, where primary sclerosing cholangitis can be associated. However, this is much more common in ulcerative colitis. Renal stones can also be associated with Crohn's. With a history and examination like the one we have just talked through, you should be thinking along the lines of IBD. We ordered investigations for the patient in our scenario and the findings were as follows. She had a low haemoglobin, a slightly raised white cell count and CRP, which is indicative of active inflammation. The faecal calprotectin test came back as raised and she was then sent for colonoscopy and biopsy. On colonoscopy with biopsy, the following findings were then noted. A cobblestoned, deep ulcerated appearance of the distal ileum and transmural inflammation with increased goblet cell numbers were found. Let's discuss what investigations would be relevant in a patient with suspected Crohn's. Routine bloods would be a good start. We're looking for anemia and evidence of inflammation, such as a raised white cell count or CRP. Other factors to consider would be a low albumin in liver function tests. This is due to the malabsorption caused by the gastrointestinal inflammation. Alongside these bloods, a stool sample should be obtained. This should be tested for faecal calprotectin levels, which would be elevated in instances of active inflammation and also tested for infective causes of gastrointestinal disturbance. Colonoscopy with biopsy is the gold standard diagnostic investigation of Crohn's disease. The key words I mentioned previously are relevant when it comes to interpreting results. This is both in a clinical and examination setting. The characteristic findings of Crohn's disease in colonoscopy include cobblestoning, ulceration of the bowel, skip lesions, i.e. non-continuous inflammation and possibly complications such as fistula. Histological findings include non-caseating granulomatous inflammation, which involves all layers of the gut, i.e. transmural inflammation. Increased levels of goblet cells can also be seen. Other useful imaging modalities include a CT or MRI scan of the abdomen and pelvis. This can look for complications such as bowel perforation, obstruction and fistula in severe disease. Examination under anaesthesia with proctosigmoidoscopy can also be considered to both examine and treat perianal fistula. Given our patient's findings, a diagnosis of Crohn's disease is highly likely. To finish, let's touch on how patients with Crohn's, such as the one in our scenario, should be managed. The aim of treatment is to induce and maintain remission. First-line monotherapy for inducing remission are corticosteroids. If these are contraindicated, 
such as in children and young people, then consider budesonide or aminosalicylates, such as mesalazine. If these alone do not work, then consider adding immunosuppressant medication under specialist guidance only. Examples of these include azathioprine, mecaptopurine, methotrexate, infliximab and adalimumab. However, these are very expensive biological drugs and thus are reserved for severe and refractory cases only. Maintaining remission utilises treatment which is tailored to individual patient needs. This is based on their risks, side effects, severity and extent of disease and, of course, patient choice. The three main medications to remember for maintaining remission are azathioprine, mecaptopurine and methotrexate. Again, biologicals can be used too. The importance of not smoking should be discussed with patients and they should be educated about relapses and when to access the healthcare system. Patients should also be referred to specialist nurses and patient support groups. Enteral nutritional support should be considered, especially in young people, where growth is a concern. Around 70 to 80% of Crohn's patients require surgery at some point in their life. Indications for surgery include failed medical management and presence of severe complications, such as fistulas and strictures. Operations used in the management of Crohn's include ileocecal resection, which involves the removal of the terminal ileum and cecum with a primary anastomosis of the remaining tube. Surgery for perianal complications, such as abscess drainage and set-on insertion for fistulas. And stricturoplasty, which involves the division of strictures, which are causing bowel obstruction, and any required small or large bowel resections. In all surgical proceedings, a bowel-sparing approach must be taken to prevent short-gut syndrome in later years. Finally, note that patients with Crohn's have a 3% risk of developing colorectal cancer over 10 years, and thus... NICE guidelines recommend that a colonoscopic surveillance is offered to people with Crohn's who have had symptoms for at least 10 years. Frequency of surveillance is dependent on the risk stratification of each patient. Details on this can be found in the NICE guidelines themselves. So thank you for listening to this podcast about Crohn's disease. I hope it was useful. To test your application of this knowledge, head to plavable.com for the extensive question bank and revision notes resource. See you next time.